The Bears played in Chicago Wednesday night. Unfortunately, it was the bad news Bears that were disguised as the New York Mets. What a rough game to watch, Figgy. We'll discuss the Mets' struggles in the Windy City, the defensive concerns, and look ahead to the five-game homestand and also take a trip to the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. And our special guest this week is the all-time pinch hits leader and a member of the 2000 NL champion New York Mets, Lenny Harris. No errors here on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing, amazing but true, orange and blue, so amazing, here's the pitch, New York folks, it's out of here, we got you, welcome to amazing but true, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post, Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio, at Figgy NY, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, but make sure to go on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, write in a nice review. The all-time pinch hits leader and a member of the 2000 and 2001 Mets, Lenny Harris, is going to join us later in the show. We'll take a stop at the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. But first, Figgy, I was making the clown song and the circus song, the Ringley Barnum Bailey Circus, because there was the Bad News Bears in Chicago. I mean, Rex Grossman threw for a touchdown. Robbie Gold kicked a couple field goals. And the final score of the Mets getting a couple safeties was 16-4 to on Wednesday. And listen, Figgy, before the season, we said bullpen, Luis Rojas, and defense could be the three things that end up dooming the Mets if they do not have a great season. And Wednesday night, it was a bad news Bears fourth inning, and it was just a lackluster defensive effort that started with J.D. Davis in a 2-1 game with first and second and one out, having a chance at an inning on ending double play. He booted it, and then the rest was history from there on. Yeah, really sad to see right now that J.D. Davis has the yips in a major way. The yips is when you have a problem throwing the ball across the diamond and, you know, making accurate throws. Right now, his mechanics, his body mechanics, his body language, as soon as a ball is hit to him, it just looks like panic just sets over his whole body. You're seeing a guy taking extra steps just to kind of get loaded and make a throw. He's throwing errantly all over the place. He's not moving his feet very well. He seems very unsure of himself. It's a shame because this is a guy that's a huge key for the Mets. Because his bat is a potent bat in that lineup. You know, he hits a home run every now and then, but that was such a big moment right there. Peterson was pitching well enough to get out of that jam. It's a ground ball double play. He's out of the jam right there. And J.D. Davis just lets it go right through him, eats him up. That's something that can't happen at the major league level and happen almost on a every game basis when he's out there. So I, I, I do start to question now, what do you do? You got to kind of give him a couple of days to recuperate and, and bring his bat off the bench, I guess. But I got to see Guillaume out there and have that shorthanded for those ground balls that get hit his way. Listen, Luis Guillaume is busy because the nicest thing that happened last night was him throwing 69 mile hour gas in the eighth inning coming into that game. I love when position players pitch, and that was probably the best thing. Uh, to happen uh, after the blowout, before the blowout. Listen, we had Francisco Lindor club his first homer, shut up all the clowns, you know, send in the clowns. And he, everyone hated on him, Figgy. Everyone's like, oh, Lindor's struggling. What do he do? He cranks the homer, Alonzo cranks the homer. So I thought everyone who was hating on Lindor for not doing a lot so early. Listen, he had the game-winning hit against the Rockies. So it's not like he's done nothing at all. 
He's his average just hasn't been there. I mean, give him some time, cut him some slack. No, he's played he's played some really good defense, and it's a different feeling uh, when it's hit not to third base, but it's hit to his side. Turning double plays, we've seen tremendous double plays being turned thus far with McNeil and him up the middle. I feel great. Every time a ball gets hit his way, you know he's going to make the ordinary. You know he's going to make the extraordinary. So for me, it's been with the bat, he hasn't hit the ground running yet. And not many of these Mets have. There's three key bats that are missing in that lineup uh, mightily. You got Conforto, you got him, and you got McNeil, all from the left side, even though Lindor is a switch. Uh, those are guys that have to come up, and you want coming up in the clutch. So, yes, he hit a home run. Kudos. But he got a hanging slider that he could have hit to the moon the day before from Kimbrel, which would have been a game changer. And that's what you are expecting from a guy that you signed to this long-term deal. It's not even too soon to even talk about it. It'd be stupid to talk about it in those kind of terms. I need to see him. I want to see him having more fun with the bat, putting the ball in play harder. And and, and he did have three hits last night, but I wanted to hit the night before. I, I Maybe I'm asking for too much too soon, but I just don't like the fact that this team has 39 runs they've scored this far. I expected a lot more out of this offense. And I'm usually the one ranting and raving over here. Everyone says I'm the loud guy. I don't need to. Listen, I'm fine. I mean, I think maybe it's because the Knicks have been so fun winning eight in a row, but the Mets are seven and six. They're still in first place, which what so far has been a weekend at least. I think we we both think that will improve as the season goes on. I do factor in the fact, Figgy, that it was howling winds 30 degrees you don't get this weather at all from beginning of may through end of september yeah you get a little bit of it in october it does get colder in october but i'm cutting them some slack because i'm walking in the wind today in new york blowing away you gotta pitch and hit in those winds in chicago that is difficult so i know i shouldn't make excuses they're big leaguers and you can't make excuses for jd davis and the poor defense and throwing the ball away i get that but it's not like this team is playing like the yankees right now who are 6-11 and 11 and a laughing stock. The Mets had a laughing stock night. It hasn't been a laughing stock season just yet. No, no, not not by any means. And, and that's something that, you know, you can at least hang your hat on. And we're hoping to get, you know, seven games in seven days kind of feel where everybody kind of gets back to a routine. Uh, starting pitching for the most part has been outstanding. Taiwan Ty- Walker hit a little road bump with that, that last outing. It just couldn't throw strikes same thing it's cold i get it i have to go a little step further because i've done it i've had to do it i grew up doing it here in new york and that was one of the advantages of being a new yorker pitching in new york is that you were used to doing it you're the warmest guy on the field i get that however the Cubs are playing in the same damn weather with the same damn conditions. But have they, they had seven the games done? postponed? Like, they have a game every other day that's rained Javi out, Baez, COVID out? Javi Baez has struck out how many times in a row, but he didn't miss that pitch that he got last night, did he, for the Grand Slam? So of course, that, he got he got Hamburger and Gazelman. I mean, I'd rather have Bobby <laughs> Boucher than Bobby Gazelman. I mean, have we seen enough of Rob Gazelman? Mike, put Bobby Boucher, give me the water boy out there, because Bob Gazelman, Bob's disc, he's a knockoff of He's Bob's discount furniture without the great commercials. That's what he is. <laughs> yeah. You weren't saying that when he struck out Rizzo with that dirty changeup. Oh, what? And then the he hopped off the mound like he was at the Ringley Barnabale Circus. He was dancing and prancing yeah. oh, for one oh, out. Yeah. He, Come he, on, he was trying bro. to do his best Stroman impression right what there. What was that? Was, well, the first I, out again, he's gotten since is, the Obama presidency. This is this is why you don't do things like that all the time because, again, it comes back to bite you. Baseball is the most humbling sport in the planet because you're playing 162 games so the highs and lows can happen from pitch to pitch so you can't do that kind of stuff it comes back 
to bite you. And it always does. He'll learn his lesson. And, and you won't see that too many times of him dumping his chest. Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't think Rizzo put that one down in, in, inside his notebook of, uh, okay, Gasellman, change up with a 3-2 count. Let's see if he try, tries that again. And when he hits it over a Waverly, we'll see what happens next time. We'll be banging He up. also did that in like the fifth inning or fourth inning. Whenever he did it, I'm like, why are you doing it this early? Okay, so flip, the, flip it on the other side. Pete Alonso did a nice bat flip when he hit the ball out of the stadium. Well, he but hit they that were 500 by, feet. That was they, incredible. But they were also losing at the time. What was it? 7-2. Seven, seven seven he got it 7-4. It was a three-run game. So he made it interesting with that homer. But that, there's a bat flip there. So, yeah, I get it. Listen, it's a it's a new era in, in baseball. And guys are going to do what they're going to do. For me, I'm looking for consistency. I'm looking for guys getting out. And, yeah, excuses can be made everywhere. Colorado sucks. Chicago sucks as far as weather. But, listen, you, you got to play the game. Somebody has to come out on top. It's early in the season. They're in first place. I'm not going to complain. I am just saying that I expect a little bit more, and I, I know it's going to get better. It can't be this bad for Conforto all year long, can it? No, and he, I mean, defensively too, he's got to get better across the board. His bat has to come to life. Um, but stop panicking, Mets fans, after one game. And, you know, one of our buddies who panicked, and, and get ready for to put the bleepers out for this one, is Frank the Tank, who was one of the more negative Mets fans on the planet. I thought this was all a shtick, but I think he was actually mad. Listen to the rant that he kind of went on on Twitter in this one and uh, get the profanity-laced uh, words ready. Here we go. This is the last place team! They don't even give a f***! Look at this team! And J.D. Davis is smiling! Luis Rojas is smiling! It's over! They're not gonna win another f***ing game! They're gonna get swept in Chicago! They're in last place! Last place! I don't care what the record is! They're not gonna win any more games! Say at 155! There's no f***ing here! They can't catch! They can't hit! They can't do anything! <laughs> Seven and one fifty-five. I would like to take Mr. Tank's uh, money, put his money where his mouth is, that they won't go seven and one fifty-five. But I get it. That's that's what he's uh, made his stick on. He's passionate about it. But yeah, if anybody's giving him the time of day, which we just did, so I guess we're the culprits of it. It's funny to listen to because that's kind of what we were all feeling for about five minutes. And then we realized, oh yeah, it's only April still. Even in May or June, I mean, my and then the phone. I mean, I think he broke his keyboard or something. The, the camera went away, and I was like, "Are you alive, <laughs> Frank?" I I was worried for his soul. My goodness, he tends to overreact a little bit. But listen, no need to worry guys they'll finish the series joey luke casey on the mound and then return home and me and you will be there friday night in the building we might hand out some masks look for us if you're an amazing but true listener maybe some shirts shirts are in the pipeline maybe you'll we'll, we'll hand them out to you uh so check out for that friday night mets and the nats and then two against the red Sox who come to city field i like when the red Sox come here you don't get it too often you got it last year with the weird year but usually it's only once every four years or whatever it is so that'll be a good series as well and degrom takes the hill for us tomorrow night how about that we get degrom in the building we'll be in the building so no need to worry just yet with this team but yeah Robert Gazelman you know him and Hildenberger everyone who wants to say Shane Green no 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 Shane Green is better than these guys do you have Shane Green's number why don't you give him a call yeah let me get let me check my uh contacts for <laughs> Shane Green I mean just pay it seems like it's a pay thing where he just wants more money and he's not being offered a lot but go get someone there's got to be someone out there better than these guys the Jacob Barnes of the world like we said before the Calvary's coming you got Cookie coming back soon. You're going to have Syndergaard, who's been throwing the ball well, they said. Lugo's been throwing the ball well. So I, I think those three guys are coming back. 
May will be much better once they get back to playing and we get better weather. So I'm okay with it. I'm fine. And I can't wait. I, I haven't been at the ballpark to watch Jacob DeGrom pitch in a long, long time. So I'm excited for Friday. You haven't been back at the ballpark period in a long, long time. So well, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but I can't wait. The month of May, whenever we, we talk about Timmy Trumpet for Edwin Diaz, it's going to be May for Trevor May. Needs to play as his entrance music every time. In sync, it's going to be May. If that's not his entrance music, the Mets are doing something wrong because that'll get everyone hyped up. Put Justin Timberlake up on the scoreboard and call it a day. You know, it's time to go to class. It's time to get tutelage from the class. And, you know, this is episode 45. So Pedro Martinez would appreciate this as well as we go next on Amazing But True to the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. Bienvenidos, mis amigos. To the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. Welcome back. I'm your host here with Jake Brown. We're trying to get him a little more culturized. And with this team, Lindor signing the long contract, Spanish is going to be what we're speaking here in New York City. Two phrases today. One is a absolute disaster, what we've been seeing with defense. A ton of errors is what we're starting off with. A ton of errors. And it sounds like this. Un motón de errores. Oh, my goodness. One word at a time here. Un motón de errores. Un motón de errores. <laughs> we might as well just quit the rolling R because I physically can't do it. Errores. All right. One word at a time. Ready? Go. Un motón. Un motón. De errores. Del errores. <laughs> the best is un montón. Un montón del errores. De errores. Un montón del errores. Oh man, these are. That's not terrible. It's un not terrible, but, it, but del it's not. It's, it, it, I still put it down as an e Jake right there. So un montón del errores. 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 Next, we fast forward to, we're going to speak with the great Lenny Harris later on in the show. Lenny Harris, all-time pinch hit leader. The word of the day for pinch hitter, bateador emergente. You can't do double rolling R's on me now. There's My no goodness. rolling R, bateador emergente. Okay, one one word at a time. You got to go slow. I'm an amateur. Bateador Bat- emergente. One, one at a time. Bateador emergente. Emergente. Now do it all together. Bateador el emergente. <laughs> Where'd the L come from? All right, one more at a time again, go. Bateador. 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 Emergente. Emergente? Yeah. Bateador. Emergente. Bateador. Emergente. Emergente. Havana Gila. Bateador. El Mahente. Another bad bunny hit single coming here on Amazing But True. Emerg- pinch hitter. Emergency hitter. So pinch hitter. That's in honor of AT, all time Lenny Harris right there. All right. So Bateador. Emergente. And then Conio El Lighter. What was the other one? Un montón de errores. Un montón de errores. And Bateador del Mahente. <laughs> so, so not close, bro. I'm so cultured. <laughs> Holy cow. The most cultured white man in America right now. And then hit by pitch. Let, let's run through the academy for our new listeners who just joined us on from Glenn Close on Monday, who never heard of Amazing But True. Hit by pitch. Let's do a quick run through. Hit by pitch. Golpeado por el lanzamiento. Golpeado. 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 
Golpeado por el lanzamiento. Copiablo el salamento. That, that's real close. Okay, Cheater. Next one. Cheater. Tramposo. Tramposo. That's one of the easy ones I've learned yep. in the academy. All right. Spring training. Entrenamiento. Entrenamiento. See, that one you're good with. Buenos dias, mis vecinos. Good morning, my neighbors. Overreact. Uh, sobre reaccionar. Sobre Sobre reaccionar. Inject me with the vaccine. Inyecteme con la vacuna. That's another that one of my favorites. One. Starting pitcher. Lanzador titular. Lanzador titular. And then the bearded magician. El mago barbudo. El mago barbudo. Mm -hmm. And then fat ass. <laughs> Comelon. Comelon. <laughs> of course, the fat ass is the one I know. because I have Don't worry. You'll be walking through a story and everybody be like, hey, Comelon. Oh, that's not very nice. Um, <laughs> backstabbing is the last one. Apuñalar por la espalda. Oh, my. Apuñalar uh, de la espalda. <laughs> Apuñalar por la espalda. Apuñalar por la espalda. Why do you have to whisper it like that? I don't know. Make it sexual. I don't know. Apuñalar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy is brought Ooh. to you by Talking Sex with Sue Johansson on the Oxygen Channel. <laughs> 976. <laughs> Coming up next, it's Batiador Numero Uno. <laughs> Batiador. Coming up next, it's Batiador Emergente Numero Uno. Lenny Harris, right here. Conio. Coming up next, it's Batiador Emergente Numero Uno. Lenny Harris, right here. On Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True is the all-time pinch hits leader in the history of Major League Baseball. He's got 212 pinch hits. He was a utility man that played for the Mets in 1998 and then came back to the Mets in 2000 in a trade for Bill Pulsifer, where he was on that memorable, gritty Mets team that won the NL pennant. And get this, he led the Mets in stolen bases with eight. How about that for a stat? Tied with Derek Bell. And then in 2001 with the Mets, he would break the pinch hits record in Queens that was previously held by Manny Mota at 150. He played 18 seasons in the big leagues from 1988 through 2005 for the Reds, Dodgers, Rockies, Diamondbacks, Marlins, Brewers, Cubs, Marlins, where he won a World Series in 2003. He's now coaching in the Reds minor league system with their double-A team in Chattanooga. Let's give a warm welcome to Lenny Harris. Lenny, welcome to Amazing But True. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. How's everything going, man? Everything going well so far here in Arizona. Getting ready for a little more spring training at this time before the season starts. I had to cover a, a large career there for you, Lenny. That'll be your eulogy in uh, 40 or 50 years. Whenever whenever you go, I'll be there to read that for you. <laughs> AT, man, one of the things that you excelled at was having just enough information. And, you know, you come off, off the bench, big pinch hit situation, be ready to put the ball in play. How Do you think that's too much information could be too much? 
Yeah, for some kids. I think, you know, for me, like usually some guys will say, hey, you want me to let you know what's coming when you're on the base, when you're hitting and things like that. And I, I didn't want it at all because I thought it was going to bother me at times because that has me thinking so much than to react. I thought when I react, I was a better ball player. So, you know, when you expect a pitcher to throw a 2-1 pitch fastball and he don't, and then again, you're going to look at me and say, well, you said 90% he throws a fastball and he didn't. So that's why I like to say, try to concentrate more and react. See what you see and hit what you can hit. But, you know, uh, the analytics is so tough, but it gives you all the right answers. But sometimes, you know, things change, you know, so you have to pretty much use your talent and your eyesight to realize what you're getting yourself into. What was your mindset as a pinch hitter? What made you so good, you know, coming in for, you know, at bats, if you didn't start, you know, a lot of years you played less than 100 games, but you were so clutch um, when you came to the plate. What was your mindset during the game and uh, preparation like? to come up in those moments to be a good pinch hitter? Well, just like it takes place in my batting practice, I try not to pull any ball. I try to stay to the middle of the field all the time. So if you do that, it's hard to keep pulling off balls. But when you're seeing guys take batting practice these days, they're pulling every ball they see. A left-handed hitter would try to hit the ball over the right field fence all the time. So just like you're watching games now where the defense is so set up for a guy who's pulling so much in the game time, he can't hit a ball to the left side. So he's been trained so much to pull the ball but me I kind of used the whole field which when I came to the big leagues when Pete Rose used to always tell me use the whole field you use the whole field you're going to be around for a while and that's what I did every batting practice I try to keep the ball to the left side because as a left-handed hitter for my speaking on myself I'm going to automatic pull that's called reaction hitting and what I do but as long as I keep my head on the ball and try to stay in the middle of the field I'm going to barrel more balls than, than a lot of people because a lot of guys swing and miss so much because they're in the activity ways of trying to get the ball up in the air and hit it out of ballpark like I said before my my theory was try to hit the balls in the gap if I pulled it I pulled it on reaction but usually it keeps me on the ball and I stay through the ball more I'm not going to lie to you. That's one of the best name drops ever in the history of our show. Oh, by the way, a guy named Pete Rose told me, <laughs> the all-time hits leader. That That's something that, as a veteran player like yourself, you played 18 years, passing on that knowledge and being on all the different ball clubs that you were on. That guidance is something that I look at today's game. I don't see that around much anymore with the analytics, with the game of baseball becoming so young. Um, you know, right now, if you're over the age of 32, it's like you've got to retire. Look at, look at all these guys. Jay Bruce just had to retire. All these guys, they have to retire because they're no longer being seen as a, an asset because those guys, a player like yourself, used to have all that information in your head. Like you faced enough guys. You faced this guy so many times that they could just go to you for the information. Now with all the analytics, it's like, all right, we're going to keep the game young and then, you know, have these guys just, I guess, trial by fire, really, because they don't have the ability, even when they get to the big leagues, to adapt and make and hit the ball the other way so much. So as a as not just a position coach, but you're somebody who could right now go outside and, and get up to bat and hit probably two line drives in the left center field gap. That's something that you did so naturally. How difficult is that to teach on a day in and day out basis? Well, that's why I, I kind of watch a lot and throwing batting practice every day to the guys. You know, I pretty much don't say much. I stay in my own area, you know, and things like that. But I see things that they can do better. But then again, we have so many experienced people around here in this organization to teach them. And like I said, 
you know, you can teach some guys how to hit. You can get anybody to teach, but then you have to, they have to go out and perform and do it well. So it's the same thing as when I was playing, you know, you had to hit line drives and keep the ball in play and things like that. Some guys could do it, some guys couldn't. So I kind of look at it like a 50-50 shot for guys that can do it and can't do it. But usually when I'm looking at Jay Bruce, I just feel like he can catch up to the fastball at times because I'll watch a, a Yankee game and, and see what was going on. But then again, it's really not that hard to figure out in times because now you have guys just rearing back and throwing the ball as hard as they can. You know, a pitcher like yourself, nothing. you would keep a guy all stride, all stride. Then next thing you know, you're throwing a fastball and it looks like about 99 miles an hour. But that's what I'm saying about pitching. But when you get a guy now pitching, you know, everybody wants to throw as hard as they can. And it's hard to trick a hitter. You know, it's like, hey, just sit 90% on fastball. If he throws you three breaking balls, tip your hat to him. But it's hard to keep missing fastball after night, after night, after night. So it goes to show you that how much contact is so much important when your swing is too big. Yeah, the game has changed so so much in that way. I and mean, that's what we're seeing from these young hitters. They come up and they're impressive and they put up these great power numbers. You look at somebody like Javi Baez, who what was he striking out over 50 almost 55 percent of the time up until yesterday when he hit the grand slam that's what you see these guys have these big huge swings and we're used to seeing velocity 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 now you get a guy who has command of an off-speed pitch a change up a breaking ball and it's like wow what a throwback this guy can actually change speeds that's something that's a lost art in in the game of baseball today that's from a pitching standpoint as far as from uh, I, I know watching you and and we got to play together with the milwaukee brewers and i remember the the pitchers gravitated to you and remember Glendon Rush would follow you around because he wanted to pinch hit more than you did because he was like, well, you're usually losing anyway. Don't waste Lenny. Let me hit. Let me pinch hit. We watched your preparation. We watched your preparation because for us, it was, okay, what does this guy throw? What's his out pitch? I just needed that much information because I'm just trying to put the ball in play. I'm not swinging for the fences. You're someone who did it for so long. Who is the toughest pitcher or pitchers that you ever had to face? Man, it was a bunch of them. You know, I thought that... Uh... When I first got in the big leagues and, and faced John Candelaria, I, I thought I should have stayed in football. You know, I just realized, <laughs> damn, if I got to hit something moving like that, it's unbelievable. You know, a six foot seven guy on the mound, maybe six foot eight, you know, and things like that. But uh, it was tough, especially when uh, Quisenberry, you know, I was in spring training with guys who flipping a ball and moving it any way they can. That was the toughest part about it. That's why I said people like Greg Maddox was so tough about pitching. And then you see David Cohn, guys like that who moves the ball around. That was tough. I mean, that was really tough because you have to only look for one pitch that he's going to give you. You know, now you can sit back at the plate and know you're going to get three, four, five heaters in a row if you're patient enough, you know, and things like that. So that's where the, the hitting and the technology comes from right there because we really based upon, just like you said, if this guy has an outpitch, what was his best outpitch or how hard he threw? So it was very simple for us now, for us back in those days because guys would throw you four or five change-ups in a row. That's how they had great command of the ball. But that's the most important thing. A great pitcher is always, you have to respect him because he can throw three or four pitches for strike. So now you look at the game now and guys just feel like, well, if I'm behind, 
what else I'm going to do? I'm going to throw you a fastball, you know, and try to throw it as hard as I can. So that's why you see so many balls leaving the ballpark at times. And then again, now you look at it, there, there's not Houston Astrodome anymore. You know, there's smaller ballparks now. So it's a lot of ballparks that's really small that, you know, and the ball's like pretty harder than it used to be. And, you know, it, it's different. It's different. So they teach the the way of hitting now to get the ball up in the air. So back in those days, we couldn't, if, if you hit the ball up in the air, it had to go over the fence. If not, you'd be home flipping burgers and things like that. So, you know, you know, I didn't have enough power to play when I was 180 pounds in the big leagues trying to hit a ball out of the ballpark. And then when I get I hit the ball up in the air, Pete Rosewood kept looking at me like I was crazy. So I tried to keep the ball on the ground, you know. So in that era, that's, that's where the games were played. But now it's all about the home run. I mean, actually, we see it all the time. And the great teams make contact. Look at the Dodgers. They put the ball more in play than anybody in Major League Baseball last year. So, you know, the teams that make more contact, they are bad. You know, if you're not putting the ball in play, you know, you're going to go home. You know, you're going to play in the fall classic, you know, you, no matter what you got, because every team has a chance to go to the World Series. If you look at it, anything can happen in baseball. It's just who all puts it together at the right time will win. Speaking of uh, burgers and home runs, I'm sorry, Lenny, you had to play in 2002 with Nelson Figueroa at the Brewers where he gave up a whopping 18 meatballs, 18 home runs. Oh, oh I, had a, I had a streak of 10 straight games where I gave up a solo shot. <laughs> oh, my so, goodness. Well, Milwaukee, Milwaukee was in a pitcher's park. I can tell you that. You know, so the ball really <laughs> carried there a lot. So Stop you know, giving I, him I, credit, I, Lenny. I, Just I, say I don't want to put too much. I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but when we did go to Philadelphia, he kept the ball in the ballpark, I think. There you go. See, and, and remember when they used to open up the uh, the windows in the back and the wind would blow out? Oh, man, that place used to fly out of there. Uh-huh. And, and this is Arizona. Blame in the wind. Blame in the wind, of course. We had the, we had the retractable dome. That Remember it, ha- it made that noise like fireworks are going off? You would start exactly. army crawling there. <laughs> I won't read the rest of your 2002 stat line, Figgy, because you are my friend and I will not embarrass you like that. But I had to mention. Hey, but you know what? Where, where was it at again? In New the big leagues, right? It wasn't was the, big the big leagues. leagues? Yes, yes. Okay, that's all I'm checking on. Yeah, that's it. All right. That's all I care about. I, I was in the ballpark then uh, watching. But I was <laughs> I was in the ballpark for the first year as a, as a true first full year as a Mets fan was 2000. And that was the year the Mets got you and you had a ton of success when they got you Lenny in 2000 and we always you know I joked about you led the team in stolen bases with eight that was the one thing the team didn't really do well but it was a ragtag bunch that found their way into the World Series and the Subway Series World Series can you just take us through the memories of that team and Piazza and playing the Yankees in the World Series you found yourself in an incredible place to be and, and winning a National League title on a special Mets team yeah, that was definitely special, but I just realized I know when when to run and when not to run, you know, but when you had guys like Todd Zill and Mike Piazza, guys like that, Robin Ventura, those guys can really hit, you know, you didn't have to pretty much try to put any pressure on the pitcher. The pitcher was already nervous or whatever, just to try to make a pitch to those guys. So you know when to run and you know when not to run, you know, it's like Edgar can hit the ball out of the ballpark. We had Ekbaani, Jay Payton, those guys was really good. 
they made contact. There wasn't no strikeout guys, you know, so we didn't worry about it too much because those guys put the ball in play. Our team was like a, a great offensive team. Our defense, you had what, four gold glovers in the infield at that time. So, you know, you have to look at that because we had everything it took to win. But like I said, when you're playing against a team like New York that's been there a while and every game we were playing, we were just about winning and they came back. And, and that's the fever of what's going on in New York. You know, you just couldn't make any mistakes to beat a team like that. So, you know, I, it, it was it was a tough loss because that team, after winning a World Series in Miami with the Marlins in 2003, I, I still say today that that team in 2000 was one of the best teams I ever played with, without a doubt. And they was like really surprised that I didn't get a chance to win in 99 with the Arizona Diamondbacks where we had four guys. It was a Jay Bell, uh, Matt Williams. We had Steve Finley and um, Gonzalez that hit had 30 and 100 home runs and we lost when Todd Pratt hit the home run to knock us out of the playoffs in New York. So, you know, things like that you never forget because I said whoever's hot at the right time is going to get it done. But that team in New York that I was on in 2000, I'll never forget because that was that team wanted to win every day and each and every night. So it's hard to, you know, come down and you see teams play and you see so many individual players just worry about their stats and things like that, you know, worry about their bats. But, you know, you can, you can pick out the guys or, or team ball players that's just trying to win and just trying to win a pennant. So it takes a lot to pretty much, you know, invert to become one of those type of players and just to come in to win because everybody feels like they can win each and every year, but it takes a team to win a championship. And, and Lenny, you deserve that 03 World Series title because think about it. You were on the Diamondbacks and Mets in 2000. Diamondbacks end up winning in 2001. The Mets end up mm-hmm. losing in the World Series in 2000. I just so you, kept missing it. You just kept missing it. And then 03 comes, you finally get it. You beat the Yankees. I remember I was at my, I mean, you were only on the Marlins. You played in only 13 games, but to get a ring must be special. But that 2000 Mets team, going back to that, like when you were walking around town, like did you feel like a, a, a million bucks? I mean, you're making a million bucks probably, but I mean, did you feel like you were the man and that was the team? Like it's different because social media, and you know, people tweeting about it, but did you feel like you guys were running that town? Because the Mets, Yankees, I was only nine at the time, but I just know going back to it that the fire in that city with both teams in a World Series together for the first time ever that's happened all time must have been pretty special being out in the streets of New York. Yes, there was never so much electricity in the air in New York. Everywhere you went, people noticed that, hey, can you beat the Yankees? Can you beat the Yankees? And things like that. And, you know, everything was like Yankees, Yankees, Yankees. And we know that was the best team in the world. So we had to go out there and try to prove a point because the whole city and Queens was behind us without a doubt. You know, it's like no place I couldn't go where, you know, especially my favorite restaurant, the Carida. And North was like my one of my favorite Spanish restaurants, and they just kept saying, "Hey, we need this championship." And I just already knew how much the city of New York for the Mets wanted that pennant, and we tried so much to get it for them, and we kind of let them down. But our team always stuck together. That's one thing we did. We went on the road trip, and we did everything together. I've never been in 17 years on a team that everybody just stuck together, and and we did everything together. We we won as a team. We we lost as a team. There was no guys pointing fingers at each other or saying this guy sucked and this and that. When we lost, we lost. But when we won, we won. 
But that's, like I said, I played for a long time, but that's the best team I ever played on. And that's a special two-year stretch because then 0-1, while the Mets didn't make it, you were part of the team and, and the game with Mike Piazza and the post-9-11 homer. So, I mean, and you had the, and you beat the, you had the pinch hits record that year. So that two-year stretch in New York and that Piazza moment also, I mean, we've talked with Mike about it, but being there and, you know, watching back to the clip, I know I certainly get goosebumps. Yeah, every time because people don't realize that the national anthem was the key. It was it was so big. The the planes was flying. The jets was flying across Shea Stadium. It was an unbelievable night. It's like I almost cried for nine innings. That's how sad I was because at that time, some of the kids that they lost their parents, their loved ones, was sitting in our locker room, and it was just very touching before the game because. We didn't know whether we were going to play or not because at the time happened in 9-11. Bobby Valentine got a couple of guys and said, let's go down there and help out. You know, and I was I wanted to go so bad, but I was so hurt about it because it was just a sad moment of the city of Gotham like that. It was just really sad because win or lose, the people in New York, they showed up each and every night to root the Mets on, you know, no matter what. The true Mets fans came out and cheered for us and, and did everything. But when Piazza hit that home run, it was a breaking moment of our ball club that how well that we stuck together no matter what, and we just kept fighting each and every day. And it was just a tough visit because when we came from Pittsburgh, and Bobby got us all in the truck and in the um, van and um, bus and say, let's head back to New York. You know, we can see the clouds and everything over. We know it was pretty much sad because a plane just went down in Pennsylvania right by us. So we were kind of nervous ourselves because we kept they kept saying that our city is being, you know, we're being attacked. So everybody was kind of, Bobby kept everybody under control and things like that. We all got together downstairs in the lobby and we got on the bus and we headed back to New York. But it was a sad moment because I couldn't hear a pin. Nobody talked. Nobody said nothing. You can hear guys having conversations. There was like not one person talking on the bus when we went, when we was headed back to New York. That's how we know that it was really serious. Yeah, it was scary times. I remember I was with the Phillies at the time when when that happened and, and getting back to New York, how this city was affected and the way that that worked out where, I, I mean, you guys carried the torch and, and really inspired the whole city of New York and the country uh, with the way that you played the game of baseball. That's something that Mets fans... You know, they have their favorite teams. 86 Mets are the gutsy, gritty. They're the ones that played hard, maybe a little dirty. They partied hard. They played hard. That 2000 team, we respect so much for everything that they went through and everything that they were able to endure and still focus on, you know what, let's try and put it, leave it all out there and win this thing. And you guys are near and dear to our hearts as Mets fans, because even though I was playing against you guys, you know, I, I still had the utmost respect for everything you had to go through on a daily basis because it wasn't easy at all. You know, we came back to play baseball and, and we were at war at the same time. And, you know, we're trying to alleviate that kind of pressure for people. So I know we're about to head out on, on this interview, but I want to thank you so much because you were a guy who really in my career, I used to laugh because I was one of the B squad guys. And we used to talk about this in spring training all the time, right? The road warriors. All right. Road oh, yeah. Warriors. Yeah. We had, we yeah. had to go. The big name guys got to stay at home. The road warriors, Lenny Harris would lead the charge. All right, let's go <laughs> kick somebody's ass. Here come the road warriors. And we would go out there because we knew that 
if we were only as good as our weakest link. And if our road warrior team can go into somebody's other hometown or home field and beat up on them, that sent a message that we didn't even bring our, our A squad. Our B squad could handle you guys. Don't even worry about it. So I was a B squad guy for a long time, but I always wore that as, as a badge of honor. And it was because of guys like you that I was that scrappy guy throughout my career that just wanted an opportunity and I tried to make the most of it. Definitely, definitely. And put it in perspective, we were the stuntmen. You know, we had to play when guys needed a day off, you know, just to keep us going. But other than that, you know, baseball was played so intent, you know, at times where when I retired, they started having like police of baseball that come in to check guys wearing how they're wearing their uniforms and talking to other teams while they're doing sprints out in the field and things like that. And what they was calling so much fraternite, you know, when baseball when we were playing, you know, you had guys coming in like Kirk Gibson trying to break my legs at second base and, you know, Will Clark, you know, the baseball was playing a little different back in those days. Now it's, it's a little difference where they're trying to protect the players now and things like that, which is okay, you know, but then again, you have to give a little bit to get. So if you go out there and play hard and the game is really about the fans. I mean, when you play hard, the fans will love you even more. So guys have to respect when you're being booed and paying a lot of money, they just want you to get better. And, and that's what sports is all about. It's a time where you're going to be playing good. It's a time you're going to be playing bad. So what are you going to do when you start playing bad? You just have to step your game up a little more because you are a professional once you get to this level. Unfortunately, our crack research staff can't find out Lenny Harris stats versus Nelson's, Nelson Figueroa. Do we Do we know if you had any... Uh, no, any no, no. See, meatball? I wasn't in the game that late. No. Yeah, I, I wasn't in the game that late. When he come in the pinch hit, my he was out at the <laughs> <laughs> Lenny Harris is coming up. Get the lefty going, baby. <laughs> oh. oh, thank you. Did you ever face him, Figgy? Did you ever no, face him? I don't Lenny? think so. I don't no, think so. I don't, I don't, think, I don't, think, I, I don't think I did. I'm dead serious. Because I, I, I don't think you did because yeah. I put in minimum one at bat and you do not no. come up as a pitcher that if, faced if, him. So. I'm telling you right now, if Lenny Harris was coming up, he wasn't coming up in the fifth inning. He was coming up in the seventh, eighth, and ninth and trying to do some damage. I wasn't staying in the game. They were going to be like, oh, Figgy, see if you can get this guy out. He, he had some batting practice. Time. Homers all off of you, batting, batting all practice time. homers. You were the batting practice pitcher. His name, his name ain't sometime. It's all time. All right. So I, I, I tip my I tip my cap and I know where to move on. I'm yeah, good. I love that. <laughs> well, well uh, Lenny, I know you were one of my favorite Mets on that 2000 team. Loved watching. Really respect what you did coming off the bench and your record. And I hope it stands the test of time um, as the all time pinch hitter, Lenny Harris. Good luck this year uh, with the Reds organization in Double A and Chattanooga. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Lenny. All right, guys. Thank you, man. Go Mets. Let's go Mets. That's his adios to episode 45, the Pedro Martinez edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, please. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa and his overpriced Spanish Academy, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday following the Mets' three-game series against the Nationals at City. Enjoy the games. We'll see you there out in Queens. And thanks for listening to Amazing But True. Bye-bye.